0: This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Your Shoes, coming to you live from Rockefeller Center in the heart of Manhattan and Newsstand Studios. Joined, as usual, with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How you doing, Stas? You're taking over, the, taking over the John seat. You're sitting yeah. right across from me there. Yeah. By the way, you know, people are watching you right now. I know. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You can see how the Nastasia rolls on the show mm-hmm. with the Zappos. Remember when I used to accuse you? No, of, I'm on uh, what's it called? I don't know. Discord. Our, our person. Really? Yeah. Nice. So uh, so with it. Uh, uh, rocking the panels, we got Joe Hazen. How you doing? How you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Nice. Ooh, nice. Peppy today. I like that. It's pe- <laughs> very, A very peppy Joe on a hot, hot day. And uh, we got uh, John has decided to escape the heat of uh, New York City and is in uh, San Francisco, the coldest place uh, in the, uh, his area of uh, California. How you doing?
1: He's it's gone. actually great, but it's actually supposed to get up to 90 today.
0: So. Oh, you ruined San Francisco for them by going out there, huh? Actually, I guess they probably like it. Yep, it exactly. Probably, they probably like it hot. Hmm. You doing anything fun or nothing fun?
1: Hmm. I'll do some fun things, hoping to go to uh, Lazy Bear tomorrow night.
0: What's a, um, what's a Lazy Bear? Yeah. hopefully get some that a, okay, a, Water. A yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh I'm just messing with you. Uh Patreon members, call your questions in to yeah. uh, 917-410-1507. That's nine one seven four one oh fifteen oh seven. And uh, John, if they're not a Patreon member, why don't you tell them how to become one?
1: Should go to patreon dot com slash cooking issues. And the newest and coolest thing about the Patreon uh perk for you know for, for people is we have started a Google Maps, a listener-compiled Google Maps, where I'm also adding to it. Um, everyone's adding to it and just adding uh, restaurants, bars, interesting food places, butcher shops, all that kind of stuff. And so the Google Map is populated with some um, like 400 places already in countries all around the world. So it's really cool to see how it's coming together. So if you want access to this, join our Patreon.
0: Hey, uh, John, would you be
1: willing... I've also put in all my hot dog recommendations in Connecticut. Nice.
0: Would you be willing, John, to share your Belgium document with the Patreon people? Yeah, why not? I can do that. So, those of you that don't know, John has the most in-depth food tour-related Belgium document ever compiled by a living human being, as far as I know. As far as I know. Which... (laughs) Oh, wow. Which I will say is not very far. As far as I know, it turns out it's not very far. But you know, there you have it. Right? Anyway. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. Jackie Molecules, we got you. Your mic was muted a little bit before, you all right?
1: Oh, I'm here. Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where uh where where are you now? What uh what what city, what state, where are you?
1: Oh, just LA.
0: Yeah. I had a dream about
1: regular, it. Regular L.A. I've
0: been dreaming about L.A. left and right. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is.
1: Maybe you got to get out here.
0: Maybe. I don't know. Uh, all right. And uh, before I leave it, uh, John, who we got coming up in upcoming shows that people should look out for?
1: We have got the um, Joy cooking folks coming on in two weeks. Uh, today we have a quick appearance from uh, Garrett Richard. We have Bob Florence of Morami you coming in, and then the co-founders of Maiden Cookware. It's going to be a double banger of a week. So on Tuesday, we'll have Bob, and then on Wednesday, we will have uh, Jake and Chip from Maiden. It'll be a double episode
0: week. Cool, and they're coming in live, yeah? That's why we're having them yep, on the off day, because they're live. coming in live. All right, now, uh, just exactly. so you know, a lot of people have been asking right about uh, the new Anova vacuum sealer. And I say what I always say, I haven't used it, so I have no idea. Now, one did, I, I, they, they sent us one to look at, and I have started looking at it. I haven't, finished my, um, I haven't finished my assessment. But I figured, John, better than like spending like 10 minutes or 12 minutes in one episode talking about it, maybe better just to like mention snippets as I get them. What do you think?
1: Yeah, why not? All
0: right. So the first thing is this. Uh it is small, right? So it's sm- it's easy to carry around. Like if you've ever if any of you've ever picked up a commercial vacuum machine because it's got the oil-based pump in it, it those are super heavy. Nastasia's favorite thing used to be when I used to get angry, remember this does? Yeah. And I'd be like, can someone help? Can someone help? Can someone help? And did anyone ever help us? Nope. No. So I'm like yeah! And I would just lift it. And I'm not a strong guy, but I have anger strength, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, super anger strength, right? So, like, I I would lift these heavy vacuum machines around, uh, you know, so I'm used to it. I know how much they weigh. Oh, my God, Stas, you remember Del Posto? Yes, yes, yes. So, Mark Ladner, this is before you were going out with Mark, Uh right? yeah. Yeah. So, uh... Mark Ladner at Del Posto used to have one of these floor-standing vacuum machines, right? So vacuum machines that most of us use in the restaurants, they come in, you know, three basic sizes, the, the floor-standing ones, which you hardly ever see anymore, right? So mm-hmm. that's because they're just so damn big, but the, oh my God, are they monsters. The vacuum pumps in those things, will, like, you know, he, they rip. Anyway, uh, and then the, the kind of big tabletop one, which is kind of what most people have, uh, and then the smaller one, which is the one that I like, the little uh, the MVS, I think forty-five, the small one, the easy one to carry. Those are all commercial machines with with uh, oil-based vacuum pumps, and they're all heavy as lead and pretty big. So the Enova does not have an oil-based vacuum pump, and of course, it doesn't cost fifteen hundred dollars either. It costs, I think, like four hundred dollars, right? So you can't assess it with the same kind of eyes that you would assess, you know, a fifteen hundred dollar unit. It's very lightweight, easy to move around. It's small and looks pretty. It's well-designed. But it, the chamber, you have to understand that it is uh, small, right, on the chamber. So, for instance, um, it has a, a, a function, which I'll talk about in a second, for cooling uh, cooling things like bread. So I use my chamber vacuum machine for cooling bread, my big one, right? Um, this unit is too small to hold, like, uh, a, a loaf that's made with... Like five five hundred and fifty six hundred grams of flour, like that size loaf is too big to fit into the chamber without smashing it, and so you can't cool it with that. Right, so it's, you just have to really keep in mind, like it's more of like a one stake kind of a situation, right? Uh, the other thing is, is that, uh, and this is something that I'm a little disappointed in. It doesn't have uh, a firmware update, it's not an updatable firmware. And why is that important? You might ask, why would I need to update the firmware? Well, they've made a couple of choices that I don't enjoy. So uh, one of the choices I've made, they've made that I really, really don't enjoy any commercial vacuum machine that I've ever used in my life. Uh, you close it, the program starts. And then uh, you wait when the liquids and stuff start boiling over, you hit stop. And when you hit stop, It instantly seals the bag. So stopping the cycle in a commercial vacuum machine seals the bag. If you don't want the bag to seal, you don't hit stop. You actually turn the power off. That's how you run a commercial vacuum machine. Every single one I've ever used. I'm talking, I've used, you know, uh, Multivacs, Minipacks. I've used whatever that German one that starts with an H is. I've used used zillions of different ones, and they all work this way. Burkle's. Um, in this one, when you hit stop, it stops and then doesn't seal the bag. And what that means is, is that like, for instance, if something's really light, the bag can get ejected around without getting sealed. Stuff can spill and it just, you can't, let's say you're bagging creme anglaise. Creme anglaise is going to boil no matter what. You can't help it. Creme anglaise is going to boil. Uh, because of the air bubbles, it's going to foam over. So, how are you going to bag creme anglaise? Because you can only set two modes of vacuum, long or short. So, you can't just sit there. Well, It would be better if they let you just suck a vacuum for up to sixty seconds instead of forty, which is the long for them. Then hit stop and has seal the bag. So, if you could update the firmware on it, that's something that's easily fixable by them down the line. But like that, that's a, a, another issue. So then they rate the. Um, they rate the vacuum pump in in some unit that i don't understand like uh, like cubic meters per hour or something like that it ends up being about two point uh, something five two point three uh, CfM which is how most Americans rate pumps in CFM You have to take CFM with a huge grain of salt why because CFM is CFM in a certain condition what really matters to you in vacuum land isn't how many cubic feet of air the pump can pump when it's pumping at atmospheric pressure. What you care about is how fast it can suck a vacuum. And it does a decent job of sucking a vacuum on a thing like a steak, but my standard test is to put uh, cold tap water in and see if you can boil it. And it will not boil cold tap water within 40 seconds. Warm tap water, not hot, warm tap water, it will just come to a boil right before it it shuts off. So uh, it's got a lot of cool features, like infusion features and cooling features, uh, but I, I haven't really used them yet. More on that later. Is this another? Okay, first run on a, on a thing, John. Am I, am I all right? He doesn't care. Yep, sounds good so far. Doesn't care. Doesn't care. All
1: right. Uh,
0: sounds good so far. All right. All right. Can you not hear me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. So, Perfect. Mark Mandal wrote in for uh, the Beans episode and was talking about his uh, rock beans. Rock beans. And we got a response, which, of course, I should have thought of too. He so search for the word rock bean in Portuguese. If you search for the words rock bean in Portuguese, which I will now... uh, This is from Rob L. uh, uh, sending in. uh, Said, missed the live show and just listening now. The person curious about rock beans and recipes for them will find them by searching... And I can't pronounce Portuguese. Can can any of you guys pronounce Portuguese? Anyone? John? Anyone? Molecules? No? Uh, Nope. All right, so I I apologize in advance. Uh, I don't know. Beans... Of de de Pedra, Rock, uh, Receita, you know, recipes. I, I can't pronounce Portuguese. Sorry. Uh, these exist in some places in Brazil where the bean varieties are ultra-regional, but this is really the national bean of Cabo Verde, and there are a lot of Cape Verdeans in Massachusetts. I found a recipe for them uh, even before I, I read this because I, I searched. Uh, I, I wrote Rock Bean and translated it and looked for it. Uh, crumb Snatched. Which is kind of a like a crazy name for your, your website, right? Crumb Snatched? CrumbSnatched.com sounds kind of dirty, right? Mm-hmm. Crumbsnatched. I don't understand. Anyway,
2: because it has the word snatch in it. Oh, that's probably what you're thinking
0: of. Oh,
1: yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. Wow, I wasn't sure Wait, if that was he. True, but I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. the yeah, no.
1: crumb part.
0: <laughs> well, because then it's like it's all, you know what it is? It's like a mixture of crumb bum and snatch, which is super gross. Does anyone call anyone crumb bums anymore? No. No, crumbum.
1: I've never heard that.
0: Crumbum? That's a good old school insult. I mean, it's no dirtbag, but uh, so then I also looked up pictures of these beans, and they're kind of funny. They got like a little line down them. They almost look like like they've started to sprout a little bit in the picture because they got a little line down them, and they remind me of the fact that some people with barley miso. You guys remember this? They call them loin cloth because a little bit of that line from the barley is left over. And I always thought it was, like, super gross to think of all of these dudes' loin cloths hanging out in my miso. Miso? No? Anyone? No? no? All right. Uh, all right. All no. right. Should I give a bean recipe? I came up with a vegetarian bean recipe. Should I give it or later? Later? Sure. Yeah, I'll give it. Okay. Uh, so, for those of you, I, I, I gave pretty much my regular baked bean recipe, but I had to work on a vegetarian baked bean because I thought that, uh, you know, I thought a vegetarian was coming over to my house last night, but they didn't. But it's fine, because the recipe, actually, I have to say, this recipe tastes, to me, as good as the one with pork in it. So the secret, and it's no secret, everybody knows this, the way you make vegetarian baked beans is by adding some sort of tomato product and then some other sort of umami product, for instance, uh, uh, nutritional yeast, and then some form of smoky thing. I added a combination of both hickory smoke powder and... uh, smoked sweet paprika so here's how you do it and here's also how i'm doing these recipes i need some feedback from you uh, folks out there on whether or not this is a reasonable way to write a recipe because i really do do this by weight anyone with a five kilo scale can do you think the average person has a five kilo scale who has a scale those who have a scale do you think five kilos is the number they have no one anyone yeah i think so five yeah i uh, think so like they don't have a 10 yeah but five, I mean, if, if, you're, if, you're, if your scale can't do five kilos, then you're really limiting yourself. You know what I mean? I think five kilos is a good number. All right. So, you take a pound of dry beans for uh, metric folks, that's uh, 463. It's not actually, but the average pound of dry beans isn't actually a pound. I've averaged about, I've averaged uh, a bunch of packages, and they most of them come in around 463. I don't really know why. Uh, okay, so here's what you do now. Ready? Put those into your pot. Uh, weigh them, right? right, And now, tear it out when it's dry. Tear it out before you wash, and I'll tell you why. Then wash your beans, and then put the pot back on the scale, because now you've already measured the extra water that you have attached to the beans. You with me here, guys? You with me, John? You with me? Stas, you got me? All right. So then add add to that 1,458 milliliters of water. Uh, And and honestly, that number doesn't matter much at all. But you have to know what you've added. Then uh, I add... 2.6 to 2.7 percent salt on on bean weight basis, which is 12.2 grams of salt per pound. And I do that because I know exactly how much water the beans roughly are going to absorb. Now, my cook to dry ratio that I've measured many times with several beans is 2.3 to 1. So I'm looking for the cooked beans to weigh 1,065 grams, which means, folks, if you do the math, I have 857 grams of extra, quote-unquote, water. Then I add onions. I added one medium-large, 177 grams, four cloves of garlic, 23 grams, three medium carrots, diced real small because I'm I'm basically making the veg stock as, as it cooks. Actually, I'm lying. First, I did the water and salt, and I let it soak for four hours at 104 degrees Fahrenheit on my induction burner with uh, two beano caps in it to, to kind of wipe out the, the fartiness of it, as we discussed last week. So then after the soaking for a couple of hours at 104 to try to wipe out the, the farts, 177 onion, uh, 23 garlic, three medium carrots, 208 peeled and finely diced, three medium things of celery, uh, finely diced, 125 grams of Crosby's molasses. You can use Steen's or maybe maple syrup instead, but probably not as much. Uh, 75 of olive oil. 4.5 uh, grams of dried mustard. If you don't have dried mustard, you can add prepared mustard, but add it after the first cook step. Uh, 11 grams of nutritional yeast, which is two tablespoons. 5.5 grams of sweet smoked paprika, 2.5 tablespoons. Uh, a little bit of hickory smoked powder. I add about a gram and a half. Uh, 1.5 grams of bay leaf and 5 grams of rosemary uh, of thyme, rather uh, tied uh, with string. And uh, then after the soaking, I simmer that for 40 minutes. Now, here's what you do. Before you simmer it, put your pot on your scale, right? Don't use a giant pot because it'll weigh too much. Put your pot on your scale and weigh it, okay? Then after you cook it for about 40 minutes, the bean should be about three quarters of the way done. Weigh it again. Now you know how much water you've lost. So yesterday when I cooked it, I lost 626 grams of water, which means I have 231 grams of extra water left. Do you get how I'm doing this now? Then I added the 75 grams of tomato paste, right? And then I put it in my bean pot. You don't have to have a bean pot. You could put it in anything in an oven, right? But weigh it before you put it in because you know that you're playing with 231 grams of water. So I put it in the oven. At 250, and then after two hours, I measured, I weighed it again, and I had lost 73 grams of water. That means I had 158 grams. put it back in the oven. After four hours, I uh, I lost another 102 grams, which means I had 56 remaining. Now, that's a little low, right? You want to have about 100, 110 left or something like that. So I added another 50 more water, and to be honest, I could have eaten it just then, right? I also, that's when I taste it for salt, after the four-hour mark, because then I'm pretty much where I'm going to be. I added another two grams of salt there. Then after another two more hours, at six hours, uh, uh, after I added 50 more water, I had, I had lost 77 more. I only had 29 remaining. Now, I made a mistake there. It's, I shouldn't have added 50 more water. I probably should have added like 100, 125. It was a little dry, but they're delicious. And that's how I do this recipe, by just weighing in between so I know exactly how much water is left. Does that make sense? Would anyone? It's not that hard once you get used to it, but what do you, what do you, what do you think? Is this a reasonable way to, to do something or no? No, no, no one cares. Yeah, I think so. No, no No one gives
2: a I think there's a delay with the phone, and I thought it was just when I was in Egypt, but apparently it's
0: there's a little anywhere. bit of a delay. Yeah. So, it's, so this is like when, uh, when like yeah. you're calling into CNN or whatever, yeah. and like then mm-hmm. the person's like waiting. Yeah, and they're talking about something horrible, so you want the response right away, and then they're waiting. Yeah, I hate that. Don't you hate that? Oh mm-hmm. my god, I hate that. Um, speaking of horrible. Uh, I was at uh, my, re- like, uh, my wife's reunion at Yale this weekend, and they have a, a, res- a restaurant there called Louie's Lunch, which is famous for its uh, hamburgers. It's the one where, like, they throw hamburger. you out if you ask for ketchup. Yeah, it's good. Uh, and they, when I was there, they were op- only open for lunch, right? That's why it's called Louie's Lunch, right? But now it's open until, like, 1 a.m. But so many weasels were there for the reunions, right, that they ran out of hamburger meat. How the hell do you run out of hamburger meat? Wow, I mean, it's not, like, it's not like one of these Texas barbecue joints. It's hamburger meat. I guess it's because they're closed on the Sunday and the Monday. So, like, I guess on a Saturday, like, they can run low. But I was like, oh, my goodness. I was very upset. But I want, for those of you who have never been, here's what's cool about it. First of all, everything's served on toasted white bread. Everything. The hamburgers are served on toasted white bread. And they have one of those vertical toasters, you know, that like that like lifts it up. You know what I'm talking about, stars? The toaster yep. comes up in the air and goes around, and then all of the hamburgers are cooked in these like mini crematoriums. Am I describing this right, John? The, you know what I'm saying? It's like it's like it's like it looks like they're in the Munsters, yeah, yeah. and there's like a chimney coming out of the top, and it's all gas and fire in, and they've got these two tall skinny doors that you open up, and then they put the burgers into these weird little slots in these like, crematorium things, which is where they cook them. And then it's onion and cheese whiz, and then and that's it. There are no toppings. If you ask for toppings, you are summarily ejected. But they're good. I think I think they're a good burger. Anyway, Louis' lunch.
1: Good and, burger and good, good potato salad.
0: Potato? I've never had potato salad there. I would just have another burger. What kind yeah, of po- potato salad? What man. kind of potato salad? American or German?
1: Uh, German style.
0: German. Uh, do you prefer a German style to an American style?
1: No, I just prefer whichever one tastes better when I'm eating it.
0: So you're an equal opportunity potato not saladist? You're not a purist on your potato salad? Yep, correct. Okay, okay. What no. about you, what you Styles? What's your potato salad, the go-to potato salad?
2: Um, With mayonnaise and mustard and, yeah. It's like classic American mm-hmm.
0: picnic style mm-hmm. potato salad. What about you, Joe? You, you a potato salad man? I like to know who I'm talking to. Yeah, I'm a potato salad guy. Um... I don't know. I like the way when there's vinegar. You like vinegar. You like a German style. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, Jack, you haven't weighed in. You don't tell me you don't like potato salad, Jack. Don't don't get me don't get me started. I don't.
1: I'm not a potato salad guy.
0: Jesus, Jesus. (laughs) You know what sucks? You know what sucks, folks. Other than Jack not liking potato salad. Another another thing that sucks is when you have an American style. This is why, like. When you have an American style, okay, 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 so on coleslaw, I'll do a mayonnaise style with vinegar in it, right? Like sort of like a little bit tart. But what I don't like is sometimes an American style potato salad, when it's been kept in the deli too long, starts fermenting and it starts tasting carbonated and sour. I hate that so much. I feel like I'm being poisoned. How many times has that happened to you, Stas? Uh, not a lot. Not a lot. No. That happened to me all the time. I hate that. You know, I bet you've eaten a lot of uh, poisonous potato salad is uh, yeah, our yeah. friend uh, Peter Kim. Yeah. Yeah. Man who loves a, a moldy egg salad sandwich from a gas station has to have eaten a lot of fermented potato salad in his life. Oh, yeah. What about celery in your potato salad? Does <laughs> he like, like celery? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Like, like, do you like, well, aside from gas station, do you like egg salad? Mm-hmm. You know why? It's good. Tastes good. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone likes deviled eggs. Why wouldn't you want the basic thing hacked up on a sandwich that tastes good, yeah. right? Yeah, that's a good product. What about that, Jack? Do you like uh, freaking egg salad? Oh god! Yeah. Do you don't like egg salad? <laughs> do, do you know what? I'm do- There are a few things I'm not that into. Uh, just wait, I just happened to pick two of them. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, how okay, about? I
1: would say they're related.
0: Uh, do you not like mayonnaise?
1: Yeah, that's kind of that's that's sort of the thing here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, that's problematic. Yeah, yeah, now, now, you know, to each their own, I guess. Uh, I had had another one in this, in this, in this vein, in this genre. You know what I like that nobody likes? Tuna Mac. I like tuna mac. I like both hot and cold tuna macaroni salad. Anyway, and everybody hates it. I don't know why. Here's another thing. Did any of you guys grow up eating cream chip beef on toast? No. None of you? None of you have ever had cream no. chipped beef on toast? Do you know what chipped beef is? Oh I know you've God. talked about it before. I oh, have? No. Chip beef is like <laughs> super thin dried beef that comes in like a plastic package. It's already been like hacked into tiny pieces and it's dry and salty. And then you make it into a cream sauce and you put it on toast. And it was a real like, it was a real kind of like, this is the only beef we can kind of get kind of a food, so it was uh, reviled by a lot of people, but I grew up eating it. Like, my grandparents would make it a lot, so I used to have it a lot. Uh, it's dissimilar because it doesn't have, like, the acid of, like, a-, a Welsh rarebit. You guys ever do the rarebit growing up? No. No, Joe, you did the rarebit? A
2: little bit, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah John did the rarebit? Yeah, the rarebit's good. No, I didn't do the rarebit. I only got introduced to the rarebit when my wife came to the States. Oh, yeah? She enjoys it. So, do you? Does she make it? No, she doesn't make it. No, but you know, we'll 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 have it out. Yeah, I like a well forever. All right, all right. Enough, enough of enough of what the seventies used to taste like. Uh, all right. So, oh, Ilya. Yeah, by the way, we have Garrett calling in in any any minute. I think to uh, answer your question about how best to use your uh, milk your milkshake making machine. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Um. So, Dollar wrote in... and
1: so hot-holding shrimp?
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Hot-holding shrimp, what I can find is 120 degrees Fahrenheit.
0: What is that in Celsius land? 50?
1: temperature... 49.
0: 49. All right. So, FYI, 49 degrees Celsius. You're, you're slipping into the danger zone there, right? Um, and John was saying... So, Dollar had a question of how to hold his shrimp... And then he said he uses a reverse sear method, and I mentioned that I can never remember which is reversed because you can sear something before and after, and I don't know which one would be reversed. Which one's reversed, John?
1: Well, I think it's that you're reversing by putting it in the oven first and then searing
0: it. Why is that reversed? And putting it in the oven. Yeah, but, like, I always sear at the end. I, I don't know. And any classic recipe for, yeah. you know, it, it can go either way. It's just a question of when you do it or both. We need to, like, people need to stop. People need to stop. It's not a good term. Anyway, um, so on this, you said that at the restaurant used to hold them in a beurre blanc, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Hold it in a beurre blanc on that shelf above the range. um, And we'd keep them in there for like an hour and a half, two hours tops. And we'd usually sell them by then. But if they were over two hours, then we'd, you know, eat them or,
0: Awesome. Right, because you basically realize that you're keeping them in the danger zone. Nastasia's a great thermometer yeah. idea. Right, Saz? I don't want to tell anybody again.
2: What? Because it's a viable product. I mean, I guess it's like Wine Santa, which it'll never be well, made. Well, it's not, but,
0: only the, not only that, we've but, already said it, so you yeah, can't... Yeah, but take- I don't, I don't want to... Yeah, <laughs> I just don't want to talk about it. Okay. Alright. It's right. too good an idea. Speaking of too good. It's just too good, people. Uh, well, that's like the idea. I want someone else to become a millionaire on is... labs and labs. Remember mm-hmm. that idea? Mm-hmm. It's all Labrador retrievers in laboratories. That's easy to do with coats on. Mm-hmm. I think of how many calendars you'd sell. So many calendars. Um, speaking of ideas that we've said before, like someone out there in you know who can hear our voices. Needs to figure out a way. People still, when you search for cooking issues on the internets, you get the old HRN feed. So, like every week, I get a a tweet from someone saying, You haven't done a show since 2021. And I'm like, We have every week. Like, someone out there has to be some sort of like search engine monster or someone can tell us how we can get the real show to show up first, right, Stas? What's the trick, John? Doesn't Jack know? Jack knows, John knows, someone... Wh- what's the dealie? What, what, what do they have to search for? I what? mean, what's the point?
1: Google, on Google or in the podcast? Well, though?
0: Here's the thing. Anyone that can Cooking hear me already YouTube knows Dave how Arnold to get... Where you need to find yeah, but anyone that can hear this already knows how to find yeah. it because they're hearing it. It's one of those things. It's crazy. <laughs> 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 or your Instagram or anything. <laughs> crazy. Maddening. <laughs> it's maddening. Oh, so back on, uh, on Dollar's problem. So uh, the, the beurre blanc is interesting because when um, – when, uh, what's his name? Thomas Keller and Ruhlman came out with their book, Under Pressure. Like uh, they did their lobster <clears> – <throat> they cooked their lobster in, in, a, in a beurre blanc. And there's two reasons to do that. One, because uh, when you add water-based product to uh, butter, you can add flavor to it. Secondly, it's going to increase the heat capacity, although I think that's actually a negative – I'll tell you why. If you increase the heat capacity of the uh, fluid that you use to hold it, right, then you're increasing the chances that you can overcook. right? You with me there, John? By increasing the heat capacity by adding water. Yeah. right? Because remember, oil has about half the heat capacity of water. So it doesn't heat things nearly as quickly. It also doesn't move as quickly, so it doesn't convect as much. And so it's a lot more gentle of a heating uh, method than water. Now, Berblanc is thicker than either oil or water. So the lack of convection maybe makes up for it. I don't know. I'd have to do some measurements, right? Uh, But it's an interesting idea. But it's also a a boat ton cheaper because water turns out is a lot cheaper than butter. You know what I'm saying? A lot cheaper than butter. Um, Yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah, you can oil hold, you can butter hold, uh, and it will overcook it less quickly. And John was rocking them around forty nine. And remember, the problem with mushiness in shrimp is that if you cook it at a low temperature, they turn mushy, especially if you cook it for a long time. It doesn't happen 100% of the time, but if you've ever had a pasty shrimp in your mouth that was cooked this way, like, you can't even swallow it. You have to spit it out. It's so gross, and it's so gross. But if you high-heat ho- high cook your shrimp, which I— think you should, right? That inactivates the enzyme, and then a low hold isn't going to cause it to go mushy as long as that enzyme is deactivated. Does that make sense to everyone? Yeah. Yes. Crumb snatched. Uh, Ian wrote in. Uh, did you get this answer for Ian yet, John? Did you look at my... Uh, at my, uh, The... Well, Ian wants to know what our nut, nut milk technique about is. If you
1: didn't post a recipe or a video.
0: No, on all of my videos, on all you of posted my... posted a picture of it? No, but on all the videos, I wrote down... I remember I made the titles for them. I wrote down what I was doing when I did it. I was like, here's 400 grams of this. Here's 400 grams of whatever. Bop, bop And I wrote down all of the numbers.
1: In the videos, I have looked through both all of your Instagram and Booker Index's Instagram, and I see nothing. And I didn't see anything in the Dropbox you, either. But you Google didn't see me making.
0: Plotinium. I never made a nut milk in our Instagram. In the twelve days of spinzel I made freaking. You posted about you.
1: You made four pints of nut milk, three something others, and two something else's, but you didn't post the recipes, and you only posted a picture of that one. Every other one is a video. But those were all
0: videos, right? The nut right? milk one is only a... The nut milk wasn't a video? the nut milk one. Nope. Oh, son of a God. And there's no and nut... On the fourth
1: day of Christmas, my spin's all made for me. Four pints of nut milk, three French hen smolches, schmaltzes, two sticks of butter, and a quick batch of cold good coffee. And you posted no recipe.
0: That sounds right. Listen to you. Thanks for all the help with those stars. Thanks for all the help with those videos. Uh, So, uh, John, let's talk about making videos. Uh, Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Stas, you need to post another video, Dave. Did you make it yet? Did you develop the recipe and do the video yet? Uh, All right. So, Ian, I thought it was out there, and there's nothing in the in the manual on nut milk. Nope. And let me double check that, <sighs> All right. Triple check. All right, it wrote in and wants to know, uh, considering what jokers we are, how we can possibly make money. I don't think I could talk about that on Air right, That's... What was the question? Literally, Biftit wants to know, like, how the hell we're able to live in New York, considering that our restaurants have closed. Well, you you have...
2: Your wife is... Helps with that. I mean, and my, wife's an and ar- I my wife's an architect. And it's I don't not like she's out city. printing money. Yeah, no, I know, and I don't live in the city. My wife's an architect. I got two kids and two dogs. Right, Biff. It's not easy, man. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't live here. And John is barely making it. Yeah,
0: we're okay. We're we're as okay as we can be until we're back on top again. We'll be back on top again. Hey, speaking of uh, Booker and Dax closing, anyone out there who wants to open a Booker and Dax? Well, you come talk to me. Uh, Alexander wrote in, hey. Uh, got a question for No Tangent Tuesday. Is there any way to safely espuse a a spirit with cigars? Uh, when I search for it, all I find is techniques for the opposite where they put a shot of rum in close container with their cigars. I assume this will not affect... Do you remember
2: that cigar party? Oh my god, yeah.
0: Was there anything worse?
2: (laughs) Now listen. I think that may have been... No, no, that wasn't the worst event. You know what the worst event was. What? Which one? Uh... Or I couldn't go behind the bar.
0: Okay, so well, can, well, let's can, can, tell can, can we tell a little bit? No, a little bit.
2: Mm-mm. Okay, no.
0: all right. You can do this. I need wedding. you guys to imagine. There's a situation where, for some reason, Nastasi is not allowed to go behind the bar and does so anyway. First of all, let me say I won't say anything specific about anything, but I will say that it is unreasonable to ask two people to come and make drinks at a place and not give them a place to do so. Like, literally, we were trying to make uh, uh, pecan bourbon old fashions in...
2: In a Lexan with a hand blender plugged into a wall in the hallway.
0: Or not even a hallway. Not even a hallway. Next to a trash can at (laughs) at a fire exit. On the floor. In a venue. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And... I have never been—I I mean, like, I'm used to being—Nastasia and I are used to being disrespected, right? We're used to being tr- literally treated as garbage. At the French Culinary Institute, our office was, in fact, a garbage room, right? Literally a garbage room. But that was the first time in a long time I actually got bent after a while. like the, the Remember that one time the person came in and— Said that we had to move again. Yeah. And I just, I the gave that weird, our... I gave that weird high pitched laugh. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. That was. Anyway, the cigars. So the cigars was the most physically punishing event we've ever done because we were invited to do a rum event. I think we did Banana Justino, right? And maybe one other drink. Yeah. Right? Because it was four runs a Coppa. Uh, back when they could still say 23 Solera on their label, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, oh, speaking of which, uh, afterwards, remind me, wine. You're going to like this idea, all right? right? Uh So we're like, yeah, we'll do it. They're like, oh, it's a, it's a, ooh, somebody dialing. Someone's got an old school dialing. We were doing a a rum and cigar party, and I think Nastasia and I didn't know, I don't know whether we thought it was going to be outdoors or what. We were in a basement doing rum and mm. cigar party where they were encouraged to smoke their cigars while we were making the rum. And it was it was the two of us and then like a bunch of six foot two model type people. Yeah. And I never speak to model type people, right, Stas? Yeah. And I was like, yo, how are you guys okay with this? And they were like, No. Yeah. <laughs> it was the it was the yeah. worst event. I mean, we smelled so bad. uh, uh, Yeah, I think we just burned our clothes. Yeah, I think we just burned our clothes. I mean, I think the people had fun. Who who can tolerate that? But like, man, if that's what it was like to be a robber baron in in the uh, 1800s, no thanks. You know what I mean? Not worth it. Mm -mm. You know. So was that uh, was that beepity boobity boppity? Was that Garrett calling in, Joe? We got Garrett on the line. Garrett, Richard, how you doing? You there? Is he? We lost him? I don't, I don't think he's there yet. No, I heard beepity-boppity-boop. I thought we had him. All right. So I'll answer this question on cigars. So what a lot of people used to do is they would light the cigar and they would put the smoke under a cloche, right? Or they would leave a burning cigar and some people would even, like, uh, like you could pump air through a cigar and, like, burn it and under a cloche, and then that will definitely infuse uh, that flavor into it. But that's burning, right? So if what you want is tobacco and not burnt tobacco, you could infuse it. Todd Thrasher uh, used to do a tobacco, I think, bourbon. I can't remember back in the, like, uh, early, mid-2000s when he was uh, working in D.C., I think, with... um, Oh uh, my God. Uh, what's his name? Famous man. Famous man. Uh, Spanish guy. Famous. Uh, okay. World Central. Yeah. Jose Andres' uh, bar. Jose. Yeah. Uh, in, in DC. I've always shied away because I think it's probably poisonous. You know what I mean? Let me put it to you this way Have you ever tried chewing tobacco and accidentally swallowed the juice? Do you know what happens? You blow chunks everywhere. My friend Charlie Cargill. When I was in high school, I was in his room, and he's like, here, try this. And he gave me the chewing tobacco, and I had never done it before. I put it in my mouth, and, like, all of a sudden, I felt like my head was in a vice, because I also don't smoke, right? So, like, my head was like, I was like, ah, you know that feeling? And then he was like, "What?" he's like, where have you been spitting? Oh, geez. And I said, woo." what do, you, what do you mean?
2: Oh, no. Yeah. No. No. Yeah,
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Oh, my God.
0: And so i just been swallowing all of that chow juice. And then, like, literally right after I said that, I was like, Wah! like, all over his room, all over his backpack, all over his books, all over his giant Grateful Dead bootleg collection. Because, like, you know, all the deadheads back then, we had, like, you know, 50, 60 Grateful Dead tapes. Uh, yeah. And then, you know what? I never tried it again. I never and, – and even to this day, like like at a wedding, like I'll take a couple puffs on a cigar and like that nicotine hits my head and I don't like it. I think it's just because of that one like super aversion therapy thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So to answer your question, I don't know, Alexander. I don't know what a safe level is. Just remember, n- you know, don't sip the juice. You know what has a really good smell to it? Everyone likes, I think, the smell of not necessarily when it's burning, but even when it's burning a little bit, pipe tobacco. Why? Because they add smell to it. They add, they add like fun stuff to it. Don't you like the smell of pipe tobacco? Mm-hmm. It smells good. Like fruits. Yeah.
2: Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, all right. Joe Waterhouse. Uh, I've been thinking about tap cocktails for a while now and wondered if you could uh, ask me if this is smart or stupid. I've attached a keg to a cement... Oh, we did the cement mixer, didn't we? Didn't yeah. we do the cement mixer question? We did this in MX. Oh, we did. Yes. Yes. Sorry. It's
1: difficult. Super
0: old. The other thing is this you can shake uh, a five gallon corny keg if it's only got a couple of gallons into it. It just hurts your chest and makes you feel really stupid. You know what I mean? But you can do it. Nastasia has watched me do it and laughed at me heartily. Yes. Yeah. You know why? Because it's funny. That's why. I was in the elevator. Going back to deviled eggs a little bit. I was in the elevator. I don't know why. A person says to me, I've been making a lot of deviled eggs recently. Oh, I know why. Because I had like three dozen eggs in my bag. Because I cook a lot of eggs. And he's like, I've been making a lot of deviled eggs recently. I was like, because they're delicious, right? And he goes, yeah. And that was it. It's kind of a not a normal elevator conversation though, right? Yeah. Uh, Any other of these questions here, John, that I should know we've already answered? Uh, Nicholas writes in: uh, Would you recommend any? I don't think so. Yeah. All right. Would you recommend any resources or books on how to get the most out of your Rotovap? Didn't we answer this? There is no yeah, good yeah, information yeah. about Rotovaps. No. There is no good information about Rotovaps. The reason there is no good information about Rotovaps is why would someone write a book on it? Rotovaps are. Listen. In order for someone to write a book, there has to be a market for the book. Someone has to put like you know a bunch of time into writing it shooting it, editing it, and then a publisher has to come out with it, right? This is why, and it's just, there's just not that many of them, and even like a lot of people who use them don't use them necessarily to their best effect. So that's why I think there's a dearth of information on rotary evaporators out there. Um, I mean, the old blog, you can search it, has like a a bunch of stuff on on it, but the, the thing is, is that, you really need to find someone who runs one and and train live. It's not the kind of thing I think you could do from a book. We could someday, you know, once I get mine hooked up again, we could do a YouTube thing on it, right? Right, John? Something like that? It's beyond yeah, yeah. TikTok. Be it's more of like a, a half hour, hour thing. But a book, I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, did we? I think we partially answered this. But we can go more into it. Uh, Nastasia. hopefully, will remember. Uh from Jay. Why does me? I, th- I think we did this, why does Miko go dry- So what happens people, by the way, is, is that at the end of everything are questions that John thinks I haven't answered yet. Right? Uh, and so what that usually means yeah, is... Yeah,
1: I wonder if I was not here on this day when he answered these.
0: Well, what, what it usually means is he doesn't think I've answered them well enough. That's usually what it means. Um, That's true. See if you can get Garrett to come, because I don't want to miss him, because I told, uh, told him I'd answer that. Uh, yeah. I told Ilya I would answer it. Uh, Why does meat go dry mealy if you uh, sous vide for too long, even at low temperature? For larger cuts, I noticed it continues even at lower temps, uh, cooking at lower temps than desired, uh, i.e. dropping down to, what's 125 Fahrenheit in Celsius? 125 Fahrenheit.
1: That is 51.6 Celsius. Okay,
0: right. So uh, Jay has noticed that it gets uh, dry, mealy, even when cooking at 51 Uh, for beef steaks. Is there a way to prevent this while still breaking down collagen? And if not, does it suggest that some steaks are too thick for sous vide? All right, Jay. Um, So you have talked about one of the things I do, which is I take it to the temperature I want and then drop it down. Right. Which is what I do Uh, to usually about 52 is where I drop it, because that's like the lowest where I feel comfortable to let it ride for infinity, right? And then I can break down, break down the collagen. But some cuts of meat that don't have enough connective tissue, you just can't cook for a long time, like filet, right? So all of the—anything um, that doesn't have enough structure to taste good uh, when it's long-cooked— you should just avoid doing that way. Like, I just don't think there's a good way to cook uh, tenderloin for a long time. They're just not. Uh, whereas, like a rib steak, I don't perceive it as going dry mealy even when it's cooked for hours, right? If you cook it at 54.5 or 55 Celsius for uh, hours, then, you know, it'll actually get kind of harder, right? Uh, and then it can have some of that dry chewy. But if you if you take it, for 45 minutes, an hour just to get the inside up, and then drop it down to 52. In my taste, it doesn't go dry mealy even for many hours afterwards, right? Uh, Strip steak, you know, I think it's a little more texturally difficult than uh, rib, but uh, kind of the same. And things that have higher amounts of connective tissue the texture is overwhelmingly created by the connective tissue and not by the actual muscle fibers themselves, as long as you don't overcook them, okay? But cuts of meat like uh, tenderloin, yeah, like the the texture of that meat is entirely based on the muscle fibers, and there is not a way to cook that thing that I have ever found to cook it longer than about 45 minutes or an hour and not have it end up being... uh, but, you know, as you say, mealy, dry, gross. Um, so, I don't know. Did that answer that question, John, to your satisfaction that time? That,
1: that was a great answer. Okay. Great answer.
0: All right. A plus. Um, I asked... Uh, I already answered the, the one about pressure cooking. I, I, I already answered the pressure cooking next month. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we also answered... Like, I think these are all questions, because we talked with... Uh, we talked about tomato paste in a tube with... Uh, because we know that that Jackie Molecules likes his tomato paste in a tube, right? So the question that was asked back in the day... I did do some more research, though, since the last time we talked about it. Okay. And it turns out that in Europe, I think, there are different levels of tomato paste concentration, right? Whereas... I think in the United States, there's really kind of only one. Like, all the tomato paste is roughly the same. And I had written down, uh, you know, whenever the last time I looked about this, what the actual solids level was in tomato paste. But in the U.S., they're pretty much, I think, all the same. Does that make sense? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, right. and I think that's all the questions. So, we're waiting for Garrett to come in. So, now I could talk about someone that I'd like to, because he has 13 minutes to call in. You got. You, did you send him a text there, uh, John?
1: I did, yeah. Right.
0: So, I know this is a super old story, but he just got released from prison like last year and then deported to uh, Indonesia. But uh, there's a guy, Rudy, and his last name starts with a K, but I, I didn't write it down, so I don't remember what it is. So, Rudy was in the early 2000s a super famous wine forger, right? So what he used to do is he would buy a bunch of wines at auction and he would spend like $500,000 a year in wine so that everyone was like, oh, this guy spends a lot of money in wine, right? This guy knows his stuff. So he would get invited to all the fancy wine parties and he got to know all like the mega rich wine weasels out there, right? And then when he got to know all the mega rich wine weasels, all of a sudden, he started saying, "Oh, I have these other super fancy wines," and he would auction off these super fancy wines, and he sold millions of dollars worth of hyper fancy wines at auctions. And so this was his scam, right? Because they were all forgeries; they were all fake. Uh, and he got caught because he invented some wines that never existed. Like one of the one of the you know owners of the vineyard was like, "That vineyard didn't exist back then," or like he sold like. You know, six bottles of, I forget what it was, like 45 Petrus, and, and like there's only like 600 bottles ever made. And so, like, he sold more bottles than anyone had seen like in anyone's lifetime. So it's like not possible. So, and like, you know, occasionally like, the label would mess up. Now, here's the thing they say when they caught this dude, right? They say that they broke into his California apartment and in there, they found a bunch of empty wine bottles, right? Because one of, one of the, the tricks—and they interviewed some people from UC Davis about how he did this. So one of the tricks was he would buy, like, kind of a crappy old vintage from a famous thing. So he'd buy, like, a Romanet Conti, you know, the super famous uh, Burgundy. But he wouldn't buy the best year, right? He would open that sucker, and he would put a little bit of fresh wine into it so that he can market it as the super expensive one, right? Because then it turns out... Here's the thing. You know what you didn't get caught on? Guess what he didn't get caught on, Stas?
2: do a label? I don't
0: know. No, he did not get caught on the fact that the wine didn't taste accurate. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? Like, And so all of the stories are written by journalists... Who, you know, a lot of them basically are like, ha ha, super rich wine people get the wool pulled over their eyes because it turns out that this crappy wine this guy was making. And I'm hearing the exact opposite. What I'm hearing is, is that this guy has the secret to making things taste like bottles of wine that cost thousands of dollars. Give me those secrets. So, like, one of the secrets, right, is to take a $400 bottle of wine that's old. And like a uh, you know a newer bottle of wine that's like a hundred dollars, and then pop 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 like dose a little bit in, and now all of a sudden you have you know bottles that are worth thousands of dollars as long as you forge the labels for them. I'm not as interested in that technique. Why? Because I'm not about to spend four hundred dollars of uh, of my money to make a fake thousand dollar wine. Right? That just that doesn't that's not a good bargain for me. But it is interesting from a technological standpoint, right? Uh, that you could you know, synthesize the freshness of this f- super fancy wine. You know what? Even Robert Parker apparently gave one of his fake wines 100 points, right? So the guy knows how to make a decent fake wine. But he also had formulas for taking wines and making them taste like they had like, the right flavor and age on them. I want those formulas. He got deported to Indonesia you think we could get him on the show and talk about the formulas? Wouldn't that be amazing if he gave us the like the formula for like all of these super fancy wines? There's got to be one where he takes like a less expensive bottle of wine and knows how to jazz it up, right? Wouldn't you? Hey, wouldn't that be an interesting thing, Saz? That would be interesting. yeah. It would be cool. Yeah. I mean, how could they, how there's could,
1: a whole Netflix documentary about his stuff that's called Sour Grapes.
0: Yeah, but do they tell you how to do it? I, I want a how to. Yeah. This is like no. when when the DEA. Yeah. When the DEA and Rudy Giuliani got together after 9-11 and did a, a, a drug museum in Times Square, that, this really happened, people. That drug museum basically taught me how to convert opium poppies into raw. Like, they, they showed me the, the knives. They showed you how to score the opium poppy, how to let it drip down, like how to boil it. They... They, they told you how to do money laundering. Now, a lot of it's changed in the era of crypto, but back That's, in the day. Go back to that guy who was like, how do you live in New York and afford it? Yeah, yeah. I wish. <laughs> yeah. I wish. Yeah. I wish. Hey, I wish. Yay. I wish. So my point is, like, this drug museum, now, you needed, like, like, they showed you a whole meth lab with all of the equipment, right? But they didn't give you all the instructions for meth, but pretty much heroin, they gave you everything you need to know. And coke. And crack. So, like, you went into this place knowing almost nothing, right? And I left being like, I could do this. Like, if I hadn't already had a job at that point, like, I would have been like, this is what I should do. You know, thank you, Drug Enforcement Agency, for—and it was very little of, of, like, it was very little of the, like, just say no from the 80s. And very much like, this is exactly how you do this awful thing, right? So— it was crazy. I have the program somewhere, you know, because I, I used to get programs forever, I have it somewhere, because people don't believe me when I tell them how crazy this exhibit was. I mean, it was... And imagine having it in Times Square. Times Square, back in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, there was only three kinds of people. There were... Well, four. There were tourists, drug dealers, undercover cops posing as drug dealers, and prostitutes. And that was it. That was yeah. where I lived. You know what I mean? Like, that was the whole ball of wax. And so, you know, it was very, you know, it was very good for the neighborhood, I guess. Right. It was like, you know, as so I was teaching you about your own neighborhood where I lived, you know, but, uh, so what I want is that for this wine thing. Cause I think that our listeners would, en- would enjoy, even if they can't afford to do it. Like the guy from UC Davis, I forget his name. He, Ariel would be good on this one too. Cause she's uh, she knows all the wine chemistry. Uh, but he intimated that, that certain old wines, he gave me some of the hints Canned asparagus, like a little bit of canned asparagus, he said, is a note that some of these old wines have, right? Oh, also, I learned something else uh, while I was researching this, trying to find, because I'm like, I'm like, I type the guy's name, I'm like, bop, bop, formulas, and you can't get anything. And then they show you like a picture of what you think is going to be his formulas, like on the thing, but it's not. It's just a, like a list of wines. So... Anyone who's a legal scholar out there, I'm sure that these formulas were the papers that were found in his... uh, And there's
2: no patents that he didn't
0: search his patents? Well, he didn't know. He didn't publish it because he's like a forger. You know what I mean? But I guarantee you that in discovery for his trial, these formulas were entered into evidence. Somebody who's like a legal mind can probably get images of these formulas because I want them. I want to know what they are. And then maybe we can get them on 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 the show. And then maybe we can test some of this stuff. But uh, do you remember back in the day uh, that uh, it used to be people would say that if you had a corked wine... Remember back when wines had corks? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, They used to say that if you had a corked wine, that you could crumple up plastic wrap and put it in, and that would absorb the cork taint, right? Uh, Well... Uh, that was true because the original Saran wrap was a different chemical compound it wasn't polyethylene it was PVDD or something. i forget what it was poly something something and uh, so the new the, the new Saran wrap doesn't work anymore and there is no there is no uncorker there is no uncork tainter that i think is commonly available anymore there's a business idea for somebody right make something out of that old plastic with a boat ton of surface area and like like sell scunchies made out of it that people can toss into their glass of wine to like to take out the taint. You know what I mean? Yeah. And take out the taint. There's a lot of things that don't uh, work like that anymore. That's like uh, Harold McGee also with Saran Wrap. So polyethylene is great in that it doesn't have a lot of nasty chemicals that leach into your uh, foods, and it, it it basically is very very taste neutral which is great, as opposed to PVC plastic wrap, which does uh, can put a lot of nasty flavors into things, especially fat-heavy foods like uh, cheese. Problem with uh, uh, polyethylene is it's fairly gas permeable, especially it's fairly oxygen permeable. This is why most uh, vacuum bags for cooking and for freezing are multi-layer with polyethylene on the outsides, touching the food, and then nylon. Nylon's not so good because it can absorb water, Right, but it's it's gas impermeable, so it's a multi-layer uh, bag. So, McGee did a bunch of studies on uh, how to keep the, your half of the avocado. Remember those studies? Yeah. You did how to keep your half of the avocado green and testing a bunch of different stuff. And Saran Wrap used to be the answer, but the new Saran Wrap is polyethylene, and so new Saran Wrap, and by new, I mean like 10, 12 years old. Yeah. Uh, it, it no longer, there is no commercially available plastic wrap that will keep your avocado uh, nice and green. Let's put some lime juice on it. Also, if a little bit of your avocado gets a little bit brown, is it the end of the world? No. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. All right. So it doesn't look like we're going to get Garrett on the line for you, Ilya. I apologize. We we really thought we were going to get him on to talk about how to use your fancy uh, what's the word Hamilton Beach uh, blender, but keisserasra. All right. Well, I don't know. For the first time ever, I'm out of questions. What should we talk about? I have two minutes. I have two minutes and twenty seven seconds left, Joe, and I've literally run out of. Questions that I hadn't prepared. Any? Oh, I'll give you one. So I was at the uh, at the reunion, like I told you, I was at my wife's reunion, right? And uh, there, when you when you go to a college reunion, they have professors give talks, right? That you go to, and you can pretend like you're a student student again. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this professor's name is, uh, what's his name? Jason Stanley, right? And he's a philosophy professor, and he hates, it's so funny, his brother's an economist, but he hates economists, right? And his dad was a sociologist and hated philosophers, so it must have made for great Thanksgiving table uh, talk back in the day. So he's a, a philosopher who specializes in propaganda and uh, free speech, and his, basically his shtick is that he thinks that inherent in, in a democracy is this contradiction between you need free speech but on the other hand, tyrants can use free speech to uh, F with democracy. That's his whole shtick, shtick right there. Uh, and he's funny guy. So anyway, so he's going through his talk and he says the word panoply. And I'm like, panoply? Because in my head I've always heard panoply. Mm. Panoply is what I've always heard. And I don't ever speak it out loud because it doesn't sound good. right? But when he said panoply, I'm like, Panoply? I'm going to use this word all the time. Like, what do you got? I got... Uh, how, how much? Panoply! I got it, like, a lot. I was like, oh my god. Like, I... That was worth the entire reunion right there. Just, like, taking a word that was not fun to say at all. Like, a good-looking word, right? But completely not fun to say, and turning it into a word that I want to say all the time. Panoply! Cooking Issues.